Today, uh, we kick off a new series called Transformed. Everybody shout Transformed. 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 Scripture says that anyone who belongs to Christ, that means in relationship with him, is a new person. The old has passed and the new has started, has come. And we're going to be looking at over the course of the next five weeks, what does it mean? Here's the big, here's the big idea uh, that we argue that anyone who's in a living relationship with Jesus, amazing change will come to your life. And for the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at that in practical ways, uh, working our way through the book of Acts, looking at various characters. And the first person we're going to look at is Peter this morning. But just before we read the passage, I just want to address what I know has to be on some of our minds. When we talk about knowing Jesus and being transformed, I'm sure immediately we have images of people uh, who are the opposite for us. For example, you may be thinking at this very moment of the uh, now former governor of Alabama who is a Sunday school teacher and professed Christian but who blew up a 48-year marriage in an affair. The opposite of what it means. You say, well, is that what it means? Or maybe you're thinking about some of the crusades that have uh, crossed the landscape of history under the banner of Christianity, bringing brutality and blood and violence, the opposite. Or maybe you're thinking about somebody else in your life that you know personally who wears the name of a follower of Jesus, but when you look at the impact that they've had on your life, all you can think of is pain. And so for you, being a follower of Jesus and being transformed just doesn't, it doesn't really register. Well, let me just say to you that for every one of those examples... There are multitudes of other examples where Jesus has literally changed people's lives. Now, to be changed doesn't mean to become perfect. Doesn't mean to become flawless. But it means to have amazing change. So, for example, in 133 countries at this very moment, there are 5,000 women inspired by Mother Teresa in Missionaries of Charity. And they are caring for people who have HIV and leprosy and tuberculosis. They are running soup kitchens and mobile clinics. And it's not that they're doing that and they happen to be followers of Jesus. They're doing that because they're followers of Jesus. And you heard for yourself the Robinson's testimony on the video, how when they came to NBCC, they established a living relationship with Jesus who not only changed their lives, but saved their marriage. At the end of the day, the bottom line is relates to me. If it wasn't for Jesus, I wouldn't be here today. So tell somebody, he lives and he changes lives. Come on, let's celebrate that. Come on, that's good news. So they arrested him, Jesus that is, and led him to the high priest's home. Peter followed at a distance, shout, he followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it. Peter joined them there. A certain, a serving girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers, but Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know the man. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, <laughs> I'm not, Peter retorted. But an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, 
I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, come on, somebody shout, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Peter left the courtyard, weeping bitterly. Can you say weeping bitterly? God bless you. Please be seated. Lord, work a miracle in all of our lives as we listen today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as I think about this passage, a couple of things jump out at me. One of the first things that jump out at me is that it reminds us that Easter, Resurrection Sunday, begins right in the middle of a heartbreak. Right in the middle of a horror that will turn into just outrageous tragedy and trauma. It begins with these words. So they, the religious authorities, arrested him, Jesus that is, and led him to the home of the high priest, which started Jesus' journey towards crucifixion. A horrendous traumatic experience for those who knew Jesus. I mean, at the end of the day, all he had done was feed the hungry and heal the sick, touched and blessed and loved the marginalized. And here he was about to be crucified in a brutal death, unfairly. Horror and trauma. And I like that because some of you have come here today with your own trauma, with your own broken heart. I'm reminded, uh, during this last 40 days, my family and I, along with many of the folk from NBCC, we've been participating in a fast. And I, I have to say, I'm so happy that the day is over. <laughs> I got some banana pudding waiting on me. Well, I made two exceptions during this fast because we gave up TV and gave up carbs and all this kind of stuff, but I made two exceptions. Tell somebody two exceptions. One was the Warriors. As a matter of fact, I'm doing just what some of y'all are doing. I'm taping them right now. The playoff is going on. Can't give them the Warriors. <laughs> and the second is that I made an exception uh, for lunch, uh, for sandwiches, so that I could still go to McDonald's and get my biscuit, egg, and bacon, <laughs> McMuffin sausage. So the other day, I went to McDonald's right down the street from my house. Went in to get me a sausage McMuffin. I just wanted to get in and get my McMuffin and some orange juice and get out. The woman behind the counter. When she rung up my stuff, I paid for it. And I must have said, I don't know, maybe I said, God bless you or something like that. But something triggered her. And she started pouring out to me. She said, uh, 
So he says, yeah, you know, my mom died a few months ago. And she just told me a little bit about the death. And she said, you know, and I told my sister that I was going to go to church with her this weekend on Easter. She said, I need to be in church on Easter. Well, two thoughts came to my mind. First of all, I was like, am I wearing a sign that says pastor? Or... <laughs> talking to me <laughs> the second thought that came to my mind however was that I was reminded how so many people with heartbreak with who've lost loved ones they're showing up in gatherings just like this all over the place breathing and hoping for some hope and and you know resurrection Sunday Jesus getting up from the dead that is a pronouncement of hope for everyone that's lost someone. He reminds us that the day will come when death will be swallowed up and death will die and life will live. That's the good news that we have in Jesus Christ. There's hope. All right, now what I want you to do is turn to the person next to you and find out their name because you, you let them know I'm going to be talking to you for the rest of this time so I just want to know your name. Come on, find out. Tell them your name. Find out the name. To the right, to the left. <laughs> You've met somebody. All right, the second thing that jumps out at me as I think about this passage is that it introduces us to a fearful Peter. We find fear echoing in the text when it says that uh, Jesus is arrested and taken to the priest's home. And then it says about Peter, uh, but, and Peter followed at a distance. The verse resounds with a note of, of fear. It resounds with the note of high anxiety. It's remarkable for Peter because Peter is, uh, if you know anything about Peter, he was, he's a, he was a fisherman. He was a, just a, just a down-home country fisherman. And, and even though later on, after his transformation, being in relationship with Jesus, he will write in First Peter, Be ye holy, even as I am holy. I am sure that when Jesus first met him and called him, he was anything but holy. I'm sure he was a fisherman. He worked hard. He played hard. I'm sure he could hold his liquor really, really well. Uh, I, 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 the scripture tells us that he was impetuous, that he talked a lot. And scripture tells us that he was like a lot of other Christians we know. That if you crossed him, he would either cuss you or cut you. <laughs> and yet in this passage, he's following from a distance because he's afraid. Anxious. Ask the person that you just got to know, call them by name, and say, excuse me, can I ask you a question? What's your unseen fear? All right, go to the other person that you didn't talk to, but you now know their name, and say, excuse me, I have a question for you. What's your unseen anxiety? See, the fact of the matter is, in many of our lives, fear and anxiety is at work. 
And if you're not careful, sometimes it's subtle and sometimes it's dramatic. Fear or anxiety has the capacity to actually destroy our dreams. I'm convinced perhaps someone is sitting here listening by video that God has dropped the ideal of a startup in your heart. But because you are afraid that you can't find investors, you haven't even started to pursue it. For others, God has dropped the idea and said, you know what, it's time for you to write a book. But because you are afraid that nobody's going to buy it and read it, you won't dare write it. Fear, anxiety can destroy the dreams that God has placed within you. Fear, anxiety can hold you back. Some of you right now, you're in a job that you don't like and you're not good at. But you've been there for years because you are afraid to try something new. Some of you perhaps are in a relationship that is damaging and unhealthy, but because you are afraid of being alone, or afraid of not being able to find someone else, you're there. Some of you have to come to terms with the fact that your anxiety is keeping you from becoming your best you. You heard Mr. Robertson in the video. He said that when his wife, Denise, was happy with him, he was up. When she was not, he was down because he had low self-esteem. Translation, Mr. Robertson feared that he was not good enough. How many of you are haunted with the fear as quietly as it kept with the anxiety you're not good enough. And what's remarkable about this passage is that the next several verses show us the impact of fear on Peter's life. In verse 54, we read that he follows at a distance and uh, uh, he follows Jesus at a distance. And by the way, I should just say this, that because of fear and anxiety around what other people will think about you, some of you are following Jesus even now at You're a secret Christian. <laughs> you don't want nobody to know. Because you know some crazy Christians you won't be associated with. <laughs> Shout at a distance. <laughs> In verse 56, 57, you read that the servant girl recognizes Peter and says, this is one of his followers and Peter immediately out of fear denies it and says I, I don't know anything about him the next verse somebody else recognizes and says you must be one he said no man I'm I, I'm not the next verse somebody else recognizes and says man you've got to be one you're one of the Galileans and they probably heard him speak and they could determine that from his speech and Peter said look man I, I don't even know what you're talking about and here we find Peter lying and betraying and hiding and denying, not because he's of poor character, but because he's highly anxious. He's totally afraid. I might add that he's totally afraid for good reason. Most of the fears that are hidden in our lives are connected to some trauma in our histories. And right now, Peter's fear is connected to the trauma of his, of his teacher, of, his, uh, of, his, of, of, of the Lord, the trauma of perhaps his best friend Jesus headed towards crucifixion. 
I know a little bit about this fear. Actually, to tell you the truth, I know a lot about this notion of fear. Several weeks ago, I was invited to go back to my home state, Louisiana, to speak at a keynote conference that was sponsored by an, uh, an agency of the education board called Friends uh, Families Helping Families. Out of nine parishes, because in Louisiana, they don't have counties of parishes, they brought together educators and parents and service providers that work with special needs kids. The person who was in charge of this effort, uh, when they named the theme of the conference, she said she immediately thought of me because she comes out of my hometown and she knows my story. Listen, the theme of the conference was, you are not your label. I thought this, 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 why don't you tell you, turn to the person you just got to meet and just say, hey, do you know you are not your label? Tell them. I turn to the other person and say, and you know them by name now, and say, excuse me, would you do me a favor? Come on, tell them. Excuse me, would you do me a favor? Before I leave, remind me that I'm not my label. <laughs> do it now. Don't let them. She said she thought of me because she knew my history. When I was from Kishada, some of you know the story because I've told it multiple times. And, and, and you know, in Kishada, man, I, 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 when I was growing up, uh, you know, look, I was, I was out there pretty bad, and I, I was scarred. I started off a special needs student, and, uh, and she wanted me to come because she, she, she also knew about my transformation. And so as I got ready to go back there, I started thinking about all the people who kind of poured into my life, and I had to, top of the list is my grandma who raised me. And matter of fact, on Easter... I can't help but remember her because every Easter in our little church, the kids had to perform these little Easter speeches. And I would always pray that they'd give me a short one. <laughs> and, 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 and every now and then, they'd give me a, a little short one. And when my grandaunt would find out about her, oh, boy, let me see that. Oh, no. She'd pick up the phone and call them and say... What are you doing giving her Find the longest piece you can find. <laughs> I go from three sentences to like two pages. And she wouldn't let me read it. I wouldn't read it like everybody else. Just get up there and read it. She said, oh no, you have to memorize it. I'd be scared to death. Upon reflection, I realized... What frightened me wasn't so much that I thought I might not remember my part. Because I learned early. I had a pretty good memory. What frightened me was I was afraid of being seen. Because I was a scarred kid whose life was surrounded by the scorn of those scars and I just felt like if I stood up in front of that little small church, that they would, they would see a, an ugly kid full of shame. I, I know a little something about fear. Anxiety. What's unique to me about this passage about Peter is that uh, when you get to verse 60, a fascinating thing happens. 
last thing you, you read is, it says, and he said, look, man, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. And then verse 60 says, in that very moment, while the words were still coming out of his mouth, the rooster crowed. And I'm hoping that this message is the rooster crowing for somebody. I hope this message is, is God speaking to someone who's bound by anxiety, bound by fear, and God's saying to you, I love you so much that I orchestrated your hearing this message because I want to break through your fear. The rooster crowed. And the text says, in that very moment, Evidently, Jesus was coming out of the high priest's house. They were moving him to the next judgment hall. And he must have heard the commotion. He must have looked over. He must have saw Peter. And Peter was, must have been talking very loud. And, 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 and he said, look, I don't even know anything about this. I don't know what you're talking about. And, 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 and the text says, and when he said it, Jesus looked right at him. Keep in mind, this will be the last time that Peter will see Jesus prior to his crucifixion. The very last contact he has with the one that he loves so much is that this person is looking at him while he denies that, I, that he even know him. And then the text says, this is what I find fascinating. It says, and at that moment, the words of Jesus flashes in Peter's mind. If you want the context for that, just scoot back up to verses 33 and 34. And Jesus will have already told Peter, says, look, Peter, you know, the enemy, Satan is going to attack you. He wants to sift you and all the disciples. Uh, but you know what? You're going to survive it because I've been praying hard for you. And, 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 and when you repent and turn around, help your brothers to get back. And then Peter says this in verse 33. Listen, Lord. I'm willing to go to prison with you. He says, as a matter of fact, I'll even die for you. And he meant it at that moment, but he just didn't know what it was going to be like to be in the grip of fear, the fear of his life. And so the rooster crowed and he remembered that Jesus said, hey, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow, you will deny um, three times that you even know me. And the passage there in verse 62 says, and Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Say that with me. Say weeping bitterly. The weeping bitterly tells us that Peter wasn't trying to be a hypocrite. The weeping bitterly tells us that, that Peter wasn't trying to be a person of unseemly character. The weeping bitterly tells us that Peter, was, was, he, he meant well. He wanted to be his best self. But under the load of anxiety and fear, he did the unthinkable weeping bitterly. I think in the space of weeping bitterly, this gets us to this next point, which is that oftentimes our public titles and our private labels amplifies the power of fear in our lives. And I think that inside of that weeping bitterly that Peter ended up dealing with his public title versus his public, his private label. Let me tell you, your public title is what people think of you. Your private label is what you think of yourself. All of us here have, have labels, right? Some of you wear the label of mom or dad. 
Some of you wear the label of doctor or lawyer or engineer. Some of you wear the label of the eldest child or the eldest sibling, and there's responsibility that comes with that. Some of you wear the label of professor or CEO or teacher or pastor or Christian. But the reality is, for many of us, we realize that those public labels, shout public labels, those public labels are tied to roles. And the truth be told, when it's all quiet and we really will be honest, we would admit that that's how it feels often. We feel like we're just playing a role. Because our private labels, what we think of ourselves is radically different than the picture we show to the world captured in our public label. I remember, listen, when I spoke to the, when I gave my speech to the, the, the keynote address, I had to tell my story to these educators and parents who were looking for some encouragement. So I, I, I told the story about how, how I used to be prior to transformation. And look, I told them, I said, I, I said, look, I thought I was ugly, so I acted ugly. I thought I was stupid, so I acted stupid. I, 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 I thought I wasn't special, so I acted as one who had no significance. And, and listen, I was a classroom disruptor. I was a teacher's worst nightmare. Matter of fact, I ran into one of my former teachers three years ago. He's a preacher now. We were going up in the pulpit together. He said, Herman Hamilton? He said, he said that's you? He said, I said, yeah. He said, I'm still having nightmares about when you were in my class. <laughs> listen, listen, I was the kind of student, I was the kind of student that make a teacher pull her hair out, go buy a wig, tear that up. <laughs> I'm bad, disruptive. I'm, 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 I'm talking up in class. Everybody's what I'm talking in class to me. <laughs> One of the time, I've got a god sister who I love dearly. Her name is Charlene Douglas, and her and her husband and girls they have a place for me when I go home. They got a whole room, bedroom. I got clothes there and everything. That's just that's my space. But when we were growing up. Especially in middle school, I despise Charlie. I call her Charlie. I'm going to tell you why. Because when I would be clowning, and if Charlie was anywhere around, she would say, watch it, Herman, why are you acting a fool? She'd say, You're the, your dad is a preacher. And when she would say, your daddy is a preacher? I wanted to make her disappear. <laughs> Not because I was embarrassed about the fact that my father was a preacher, but because I was embarrassed about the fact that there was a huge gap, this public title, I'm a preacher's kid. That's what she was saying, which suggested that I ought to be one way. But the reality, I had a, I had a private label that says I can never be that. I'm ugly. I am stupid. I am not special. I, I, I'm not able to be that. Truth be told, some of you are wasting your lives right now because of your private labels. Just let me drift away. 
I think this is where Peter was, weeping bitterly. I, I think this is where he was because, listen, uh, as, he, uh, as, he, as, as he was in this space, I, I think he was remembering that in Matthew verse 16 that, that at the end of the day, Jesus said to him, once he said, who do people say that I am? And, 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 and Peter answered the question, you're the Messiah. And then Jesus said, look, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. And then he says, and his name was Simon. He says, Simon, essentially your daddy named you Simon. Simon, son of Jonah. He said, but I'm going to change your name. Now I'm going to call you Peter. Everybody shout Peter. Peter, that means rock. So whenever anybody called Peter, Peter, they, they, they accept, actually they were saying rock. Hey, rock, which way do we go? Hey, rock, what did Jesus say? Hey, rock. And I believe when he was weeping bitterly, I think what Peter was doing at the end of the day, uh, he, was, he was thinking about his public label, follower of Jesus, thinking about his public later, label, leader of the followers of Jesus, thinking about his public label, rock. And he's thinking about, this is what Jesus called me because he thought he saw something in me, but the reality is, weeping and, and bitterly, I believe Peter was saying, I'm no rock. I, I'm an imposter. I'm no rock. I'm a betrayer. I'm no rock. I'm a liar. I'm no rock. I'm a failure. That's his private label. As he wept. Now, the problem with some of our labels is it affects our eyesight and our insight. And it affects how we see Jesus and what we translate about Jesus. And some of us won't come to church because we see Jesus with the wrong eyes. And I believe that when Peter saw Jesus looking at him, he just interpreted wrong. Because he had already concluded he was a failure, he was a betrayer. And he saw in Jesus' eyes condemnation. But I don't believe that Jesus looked at him with condemning eyes. I think Jesus looked at him with compassionate eyes. I think Jesus looked at him and, 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 and he was hurt not because he was betrayed because Peter couldn't do anything to help Jesus anyhow. Jesus was going to end up where he ended up at. So I think that Jesus was compassionate and looked at Peter thinking, I'm just so hurt that your fear and your anxiety is smothering out what I know I put in you. I'm just so hurt that it's going to drive you to a place of shame and guilt and cut quality out of your life and stop up your dreams. But, 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 but I, I think that was his looking, y'all. But he says, I'm going to go on to the cross. And scripture says that he gave up his life for our sins and he might make us right with him. And then he dies now, let me prove what I'm talking about by Jesus' eyes. In Mark 16, 16, when the women go to the tomb where he's buried, they find a stone rolled away. The tomb is empty. An angel is sitting there. He says, don't be afraid. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He's not here. Come on, tell somebody. He's not here. Uh, he, 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 he has risen from the dead. Isn't that good news? So he's risen from the dead. That's good news. Now, 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 say, say, see, look where his body was laid. Not here. It's absent. And then verse 7, here's the verse that I like. He said, now, he said, give, he said, here's a message. Here's a message. Here's an email for you. Watch it. Go, Jesus said to tell him, go tell my disciples. This is what the angel said. Jesus said, tell them. Go tell my disciples. Wait. 
What disciples? I mean, every one of them scattered and left him except for one, John, who stayed at the cross. I mean, every one of them abandoned them. Why would Jesus say, go tell my disciples? If it was me, I'd say, go tell those scoundrels. <laughs> go tell them folk who abandoned me. But now, Jesus says, now, go tell my disciples. Shout disciples. Because Jesus saw their failure, but he saw that their failure came out of a place of fear, really in search of hope and love. And Jesus knew that he had to go through death and resurrection. And now he's saying, you might have got disconnected from me, but I've never been disconnected from you. What I put in you, what I called you out to be, I intend for it to come to pass. And the power that raised me from the dead is the power I want to break, the power of fear from your life then he says including Peter I love that because Peter was like I know he ain't talking to me he said no I named you rock because I saw what was in you and if you work with me when it's all over, you'll be what I already said you'd be. And then the verse says, and tell him that he's gone up ahead of them. So let me wrap this up here real quick. Everybody say, he went ahead. He went ahead. The three things you got to do in order to overcome your fear, push past your fear. First thing you have to do to push past your fear uh, is that uh, you, 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 you got to name it. You got to be able to say, I'm afraid of, I'm anxious about, right? Second thing you got to do is be able to see it. Uh, in other words, see what God has for you that you can't allow your anxiety and fear to keep you away from. And then the third one, you've got to face it. That means you've got to be willing. See, there can be no courage without fear. The definition of courage is acting in the face of fear. Be willing to step towards it. Now, I went to Cushada. I told you when I gave that speech that Sunday when it was over, I got some pictures I want to show you. I took my other God sister, Tammy, who took me back to the school that I graduated from and uh, put that picture up there. And I was walking her around, showing her the historic places where Jesus changed my life. And I, I went right here. I was looking pretty good there, wasn't I? Anyway, I was looking right, right there. And I was pointing to the fact that that was the place where a little girl that I had a little crush on used me to get her boyfriend jealous. And the fight broke out and he hit me and I hit the ground. I'm pointing to it right, right there where I hit the ground. <laughs> and, and, and I got up, they walked away hand in hand. But sometimes God needs you to hit the ground in order to open up your mind. Come on. And so, and so the next picture, the next picture, I took her around and I showed her, I'm pointing to the bathroom that I went into. And it was in that bathroom where I, the first thing I did, I named my fear. I said, God, uh, I, I know I, don't, I feel like I'm ugly and this and that, but if I flunk out of school, my grand aunt and uncle will be devastated in their 60s and 70s. I, I need a miracle. It dawns on me that when I started to pray to Jesus in the boys' bathroom, it, it meant that I believed that he had gotten up from the dead. It meant that I believed that he was alive. And I don't ask me the metaphysical question about where he is or where he was. I didn't have his cell phone. As a matter of fact, cell phones didn't even exist back then. But, come on now, I believed he was in listening distance, wherever he was. And, and I thought he knew my name. Come on now. And so I said, Jesus, here's what I want. They say, if you have faith the size of a mustard, you move mountains. I said, I don't need you to move the mountains. 
Shout, see it. Said, I, I, I said, I need you to open some doors. I said, three things I want. I want to be on the stage with honor students. I want, to, I want to graduate and go to college. I want my grand aunt to know that she hadn't wasted her life. Shout, you got to see it. See it. And, and, and the reason why I was singing was because Jesus had gone ahead of me. Come on now. And he had dropped this in my mind. I didn't realize it. And, and, and then when I got out of there, they transferred me. The next thing, the teacher transferred me because Jesus had gone ahead of me from one class to another. And that teacher, Miss Gaffin, caught me in the hallway, caught me in my collar and said, if you come in this class acting a fool, I'll kill you. Do you understand? <laughs> Tell somebody Jesus went ahead of him. Come on now. <laughs> And then when I got into the class, I was going to say something funny. But because Jesus had gone ahead of me, y'all, out of my mouth came the right answer. And then she said, hey, if you go home and study and stop acting a fool, you could be somebody. That was the voice of God speaking out of that woman. And then I went home because God had gone ahead of me. Y'all ain't listening. And I started crying to get through my work. And, and, and before it was over, it turns out I had a knack for history. Why? Because Jesus had gone ahead of me. Come on now. And at the end of the semester, top five. At the end of the year, first in the region. Next year, first in the state. Next year, first in the nation. Graduation, standing on the stage with the honor students. Come on now. Tears coming down my grand aunt's face. Why? Because Jesus went ahead of me. Come on now. Shout transformation. So I'm here today. Watch this. I wear the same scars, but I know I'm not ugly. I'm dressed in the beauty of my Lord. Come on now. <laughs> I know I'm not stupid. His wisdom guides my steps, y'all. Come on now. I know I'm not a disruptor. I'm just a preacher of the good news that Jesus knows your name and he knows what he's put in you. So as we finish here, let me just tell you at the end of the day. And Jesus said to tell you, you're not ugly either. I don't care who told you. And you're not stupid either. And you're not a failure. And if you would dare to believe that the one who got up from the dead has gone ahead of you, go write that book. He'll give you the power. Go do that new startup. He'll give you the power. Go say yes to that marriage that you've been running from. He'll give you the power. Go adopt those kids you've been thinking about. He'll give you the power. Because greater are you in him than any that's in the world. Shout transformation. That's it. Say amen. Say amen. Say praise God.